This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 123. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with my bald, beautiful co-host, without the purple shirt today, because he's being a douche, Christopher <laughs> J. Graham. He had to change his shirt out because he had pit stains. How you doing today, buddy? So much pit stains. Yeah. It's like hot in my office today. It's warm in Ohio, thank God. And our <laughs> air conditioning system was not on yet. And I was like, we're getting ready for an episode. And I was like, why am I so warm? Am I nervous? I know you get nervous when you talk to me, so it's okay, man. That's because I like you so much. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I'm in like an unreasonably good mood today. You want to know why? Why is that? Because we hit our 14-day quarantine period for coronavirus <laughs> after coming back from Southeast Asia. How many people are staying with you or working at your house right now? Nobody right now. Okay. I'm here alone right now. My wife's out with her friend working. but uh, So we hit the 14-day period, so now I can actually go see my niece. <laughs> And we have a wedding we're heading to this weekend. So that's amazing. We are coronavirus free. However, we booked this trip months ago. Me and Trevor and Travis from Soundstripe are all supposed to go to Japan at the end of this month. We leave March 31st. Veto. <laughs> Veto. We booked our hotel last night. Cheap as shit right now, by the way. You can get some cheap hotels. If the government will let us go, we are going to go. That's basically oh, our plan right now. So I don't like that. I'm going to go brave the coronavirus stuff again. Just make sure I have all the logins for our podcast stuff. Yeah. Like anything I could need to keep this ship afloat if you die. <laughs> all right. Or if I'm just under the weather for a minute. I read some interesting stuff where people were just saying like, there's like, I mean, you cannot get away from it. We're talking about on this damn podcast. That's how like over covered this topic is in relation to the news. Yeah. It's everywhere. It went viral. Damn. You took the <laughs> opportunity and you grasped it. So I was reading in a newsletter that's not typically about coronavirus and it was his take on it. And it was interesting how this person believed that it's not a matter of if you get it, it's a matter of when you get it. And this actually goes along with today's topic, which we'll get into in a second. But if you look at the exponential growth that this has right now outside of China, by like summertime, we'll have millions of infections around the world, like millions. We're at 100,000, something like that right now. Well, let me say this. One, I don't like this conversation because I'm a germaphobe. <laughs> I know. I'm like, and I love it because I'm not a germaphobe and I'm like, it's so easy to gross you out related to this stuff too. This is true. But two, I love this conversation because I'm a germaphobe because I'm like watching the news and it's like instructions on how to wash your hands Yeah, and like telling people not to touch doorknobs. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not alone anymore. I'm normal. Yeah, the, the rest of the world is temporarily a germaphobe right now, including myself. Like I'm doing that sort of stuff. I'm opening doors with like the palm of my hand or the back of my hand. No, bro. You got to extend your sleeve, like pull it out when no one's looking. I don't have long sleeves on all the time. Uh, and then also like I'm hitting buttons with my knuckle or touch screens with my knuckle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to save a couple of lives here for the coronavirus. When you oh go to a restaurant. God. Dude, if you are alive right now, you've already heard this stuff, Chris. No, none of this is new information for our listeners right now. We're not a news covering podcast. And if we were... I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't be on this podcast. Well, I'll say this, like before we kind of move on from this banter. Here's some musings from Chris Graham, the germaphobe. It really does make me feel good to see people at, like as interested in this stuff as I've been for 30 years. <laughs> as paranoid? It makes you feel good to, for everyone to be as paranoid as you right now? Well, I'm normal for a little while. 
I'm obsessing about it less now that everyone else is obsessing about it. And it's been weird. I'm much less concerned about germs lately. And uh, there's that. Do you have any cases in Ohio yet? Yes, we do. We're supposed to go to see Pete Holmes, the comedian on Thursday, but I don't think we're going to. He's up in Cleveland. If you're in a band right now, I feel so bad for you. Like Live music is getting decimated. The touring industry right now, Justin Bieber's tour just got downgraded to smaller venues because of all this. Like, that's devastating, man. Like, just, oof. That's intense, man. There's three cases in Ohio right now, Chris. You better watch out, man. I know, man. Well, it's weird. It's good for society to think about this stuff because we learned all this stuff in like seventh grade like health class and then everybody forgot except the weirdos. And <laughs> I think this is good for society to be like, this is not like child's play. This is serious stuff and we need to take it seriously. So wash your damn hands and everywhere you go, make sure that you have done a lot of research to figure out the best hand sanitizer that you can keep in your jeans pocket like I do. Hey. How much research did you do for that hand sanitizer? Quite a bit. I'm a big fan of the Clear Well. It's like a little tiny natural, which is great, alcohol-free. It's got a little flip top. It's like a little Zippo lighter with a little spray bottle. And it's nice because like I'll pull it out when I'm at lunch with a friend and offer to spray their hands. And they're always like, oh, yeah, thank you. But before I could never offer. Let me stop you real quick with this. And, and, and audience, if you're like, guys, shut up, move on. There's a reason I'm hounding Chris about this. How much time would you say you put into this specific hand sanitizer research phase here? Well, you know, a couple months ago, I would have said too much. But now I would say I put just enough research into it. Could you quantify that number? At least 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So a couple of things here. First of all, when it comes to hand sanitizer, I treat it just like I treat suntan lotion at the beach where I'm at the beach for like four or five days. I don't fuck around with that organic stuff. I do the hard stuff when it comes to like bug spray in Thailand. I want DEET. Give me all the DEET. I don't care how toxic it is. I'm going to rub it all over my body. I don't play around with that stuff. So all I want is straight alcohol on my hands. I'm going to lather my hands in the highest percentage alcohol I can find because I don't fuck around with this sort of stuff. The reason I bring all this up though, there's a point to this and it actually ties into our episode today. There is a point when you're researching anything or doing anything of diminishing returns, there's a point of diminishing returns. In today's episode, we're going to explore that topic, why it's relevant to us. We'll probably tie it back to a few coronavirus stories of some sort, because that's what's hot in the news right now. If we mention that word in our podcast, all the search engine things will rank us to the top. I don't know how this works. And we'll be rich and famous. Second of all, there's a benefit to you as the listener to understanding this sort of thing, because one of the biggest traps we fall into as audio engineers is falling down this over-optimization or overdone or over-researched or over-edited or overproduced rabbit hole. And I think anyone listening can relate to this at some level where we overdid something. We spent so much time doing something that it was no longer constructive time spent. Yep. And I think if we discuss this today, it'll at least be top of mind for you for the rest of the week or the month or the year. So that the next time you hit that point where you realize, oh God, I've been editing this one line on this course with pitch correction for the last six hours, I should probably stop and move on and do something more productive in my life. If we can save you from one of those binge moments where you're overdoing something, then we will have done our job. Can we make up a new word, binge editing? Yes. Did I just say that? No. Well, we collaborated on this. I'm going to go back to the recording and see if I said binge (laughs) editing. If that's the case, I take full ownership over that. If we can save you from one of those binge moments where you're overdoing something. Do not do binge editing. Here's the thing here is I think what happens for most of us, and it has absolutely happened to me more times than I can count, is that I'll be in a situation. I've been much better about this over the past like five, six, seven years. 
But as a younger guy, I would get in these situations where I would be like, Chris, you're not a real audio engineer. Chris, you're not a real mastering engineer. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, watch me edit the fade out on this song for 45 minutes. See, I'm totally a real mastering engineer because only a mastering engineer would do something that stupid for that long. And I think this is pretty common. We get in a situation where self-doubt creeps in and we overcompensate by trying to like show our self-doubt. Like, see, you know, I edit these drums all day long and they don't sound better, but I did it. And that's the important thing. I love what you were saying here. We fall into these black holes of work that are really just a form of compensation. Compensation or procrastination. Or procrastination, one of the two. And so, you know, there's the joke about like the short guy with an expensive sports car. Like, oh, it must be compensating for something. Like we do that exact same thing in our industry, but we compensate through research, through over-editing, over-mixing, buying more gears, you know, is another thing of how many mics do you need before it stops helping your studio. Yep. There are plenty of guys listening to this show that are like, oh, next podcast. Let's skip this episode. <laughs> yeah. If you're not a regular listener, you're probably like, who the fuck do you think you are <laughs> to tell me about my mic collection that I spent $100,000 on? How dare you? Each one of these esoteric ribbon mics has a slightly different sound to them. They're necessary. Right. So yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things where we just kind of go deep when it would make much more sense to have just been like, okay, I've got, you know, these, this is enough. I'm going to move on to the next thing. Yeah. Really quick. Let's just explain just to we're all on the same page here, this diminishing returns concept. As Chris said, uh, you read a book that had this phrase, the linear fallacy. Yep. The book's called Seeking Wisdom from Darwin to Munger by Peter Bevelin. I'm not recommending that you guys read it. It sounds incredibly dry. It's super dry, but man, over-researcher Chris Graham in like 2011 had a pretty good time <laughs> oh reading God. this book. Let me just really quickly overview what this is. Okay, so there's this thing called the linear fallacy, and that is the belief that if I keep doing something, I will get an equal result as long as I keep doing that one thing. An example would be, if I keep pitch correcting this vocal, it's going to get that much better every time. A better example in the business aspect, if I keep putting more and more money into marketing, I'm going to get the same exact results. But if I go from $1,000 a month to $10,000 a month, I'm going to 10x my results. That is linear thinking. Yep. That is a fallacy. What will inevitably happen is at a certain point, those returns will start to drop off or diminish to where it eventually plateaus. Yep. Meaning you can spend as much money as you want and you're not going to increase your results at all. You can spend as much time doing something or researching something and it's not going to improve the results at all. And that is the linear fallacy and that is the stuff that every single one of us, Chris has done it, I have done it, you have done it, Jim down the road from you has done it, Bill up the road from you has done it, Denise down the block has done it, everyone's done it. So it's a matter of acknowledging the fact that we have done this and talking about ways to maybe identify that we're in these modes and stop these things from happening because they're ultimately wasting time, effort, money, energy, mental bandwidth, what have you. So I've had a number of people that have mentioned to me either through, you know, looking to work with me as a mastering engineer or looking to work with me as a business coach that have mentioned, hey, my wife and I listen to your show all the time. You know, we'll be driving somewhere and I'll put the Six Figure Home Studio podcast on. So if you are the kind of prototype normal person on the show, you're a dude, you're married to a girl, and I'm sure your wife is like, oh my God, I, I hope he's listening to this. I hope he's paying attention because he does this constantly. 
look at each other, smile. All right. Now hold hands for the rest of the show. Oh, <laughs> but this is something like my wife, 16 years ago, if my wife and I had been listening to this podcast, my wife would just be like, she'd have butterflies in her stomach of like, I hope he's picking up on this. Oh my gosh. Our relationship would be good if he would stop researching everything so much. So this is really, really valuable stuff. And I know for a lot of you out there, one of the biggest reasons your business isn't doing well is because you don't have enough time because you spend all of it doing stupid stuff. Yeah. So that reminds me of the story that I've told on the podcast before, which is the first time I went to Thailand in 2017. Right before I went, I spent about 40 hours researching handheld digital cameras so that I could have great video for my trip, something that was shooting 4K and had all these aspects that I wanted. And this is when the uncertainty sets in. And when I'm uncertain about something, my personality is I'm going to research. Not only that, when I spend a lot of money, the more I spend, the more research you better believe I'm going to be spending on figuring out what's quote the best. So 40 hours in, and I believe if you did the math on how much money I would have made if I had just put that money into my business, it was like paled in comparison to how much that camera cost me. Huge waste of time. I don't even use the camera anymore. Long story short, I took a bunch of video footage on that trip that I never did anything with. <laughs> that in a nutshell sums up this black hole we fall into. That time will never be regained for me. I learned nothing. I now have an iPhone 11 Pro. Cue the gear slot alert. Go for it. It's fine. In which I can take video and shoot photos from and they're fine. As a matter of fact, the new Lady Gaga video that came out this week, and I love calling her, I love calling her that because it's stupid. The new Lady Gaga video that came out this past week or so was shot completely with an iPhone 11 Pro. And my wife actually caught it as I was watching it. She somehow knew just from seeing the video that it was iPhone. I'm going to watch it today. Yeah, go for it. It's fine. It's a really weird video. So what you're saying, Brian, is that you should have spent like maybe 20 minutes researching cameras and then you should have F-stopped. I will acknowledge the first part of that while <laughs> ignoring the second part of that. An F-stop is a, it's like a feature in a camera about nope, like, nope, you know, how nope, big the nope, aperture nope. is. I get you. Thank you. Honestly, by the end of it, I spent most of my time debating between two or three different cameras, any of which would have been fine. I could have spent about an hour researching and then just picked one at random and I'd have been fine because ultimately I didn't do a damn thing with the footage anyway. So who cares? Yeah. 40 hours is a lot of time to research that. And I love you, man. That, that makes me shudder. <laughs> Let me just say, I make Woo. a lot more than $50 an hour. But even at $50 an hour, that's two grand worth of time, yep. which was twice the cost of the camera in and of itself. So I could have skipped it and just bought all the cameras and I'd still be ahead right now. Crazy. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff that I've done like this. I remember, man, when my wife and I first got married, this is our first year of marriage. And long story short, we were living in a house. We had to move out in June. Her aunt and uncle were going to be moving. I think it was Thailand. No, it was Bangladesh. And they were going to let us rent their house while they were gone. It was a great house with a huge walkout basement that I was going to, you know, run my production company out of. And it turned out that they, her aunt and uncle, moved out a lot later than we had thought they would. And their kids came and stayed with them the whole time that we were sort of like crossing over. So there's like nine people living in this house. And my wife and I had been married for like six months and we're still <laughs> figuring out what it looks like to be married. And I just got really stressed and I was working on like people's projects. And the way that that stress manifested is I would just sit for like 10 hours a day editing these singer songwriter projects that I'd been producing, not making them better, 
but definitely feeling better about myself because I'm a hard worker. Pat myself on the back. Oof. Yeah, the validation that some of these binge editing or binge research things that we do, the amount of validation you get from that is great. It feels good at the time, sort of, not really. You actually know that you hate yourself <laughs> in the moment, but somehow it's justified because now I know more or now the song is more edited. This is a complicated, deep conversation that could even be its own episode. I think what happens in a lot of times with something like that is you'd feel insecure because you don't feel like you have a real job and people in your life are looking at you like, you're trying to produce records? Oh my gosh, what a loser. And then so you go in and are like, I'm going to do a bunch of meaningless work for a really long time so that I can be like, oh man, hey, uh, Uncle Steve, uh, man, I've just been so busy lately. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. Oh, man, I've just been working, just been so busy. You know, grinding, just, you know, working like 70 hours a week. uh, I think that's one of the best things I found about Tim Ferriss, like in the early days, is he was very anti-hustle, hustle, hustle, grind, grind, grind. He talked about how we wear this, we're so busy as a badge of honor. I believe it was Tim Ferriss that talked about this. It's like, this is this weird badge of honor we wear. And the reality is like, no. It's not a badge of honor. The guy who talks about a four-hour work week is way more successful than I will likely be in any near future. And the man preaches the four-hour work week. Now, we all know if you follow Tim Ferriss, he doesn't actually work four hours a week. He puts 40 hours a week into four hours of work and then uses the other 36 hours a week to do other things. But the sentiment is there. Yeah, so I think one of the take-homes I would love for everyone to have from this episode is just recognizing that bragging about how busy you've been is not cool. It's not impressive. I would challenge you to look at what you've been doing during this past week where you're just so damn busy and think through like, is this actual productive work or is this just black hole binge work that is going absolutely nowhere? So I can quote Tim Ferriss's statement on this. I think verbatim, what he says about this is that busyness is actually laziness. It's indiscriminate action. I think I didn't get that totally perfect, but I think the spirit of it is there. Indiscriminate action, meaning that like, you weren't intentional about how you spent your time and therefore you have none left. That makes sense. Ooh, yeah. I've seen this in my own mixing work. It's like if I feel uncertain about a mix or I have some sort of confidence issue of a new style of music, those turn out the worst, not because I'm a bad mixer. It's because I overmixed. You'll look at those sessions and there will be 10 plugins on every single track. I mix in the box, by the way, but if you were an outboard mixer, you would have run that through every single piece of rack ear you own before that vocal went back in <laughs> into the DAW. I overmix. I do so much in an effort to make it sound right. In all of my best mixes, if you went through any of my sessions and all my best mixes, there's no more than three or four plugins on any given track. Yeah, same. I did a master for a major label a couple of weeks ago with three plugins. I was like, this sounds great. This is exactly where it needs to be. It felt great. I did a challenge mix once just for the old internet. So I don't know if you can find it somewhere. It might only be on YouTube or Facebook. I actually don't know. Anyways, where I mixed an entire metal song using only two plugins. And I tried to put it up against the actual mix I did with them with many more plugins than that. And it stood up against it really, really well with just two plugins. And it was the stock Pro Tools EQ and the stock Pro Tools compression and nothing else on any track. That's impressive. I'd have a hard time doing that in Pro Tools. Logic? I think it's better stock compressors, but I digress. (laughs) Maybe James should edit that out so that everyone still likes me at the end of this podcast. I don't know. We'll see. I like leaving your awkward requests for James to edit shit out in there. (laughs) I know you do. So that people can hear it. I don't ever leave mine in. Mine are just cut out Uh, because I have the final say so in the edits. (laughs) 
What are you going to do? Well, let's kind of bring this home. So the idea of diminishing returns is, hey, I put an hour of work in. It made whatever I was doing 10% better. I put another hour of work in and it made it 1% better. That's a diminishing return. Yeah. You have to be able to notice when you hit a spot of diminishing returns because your time could probably be invested better elsewhere. Let me push back on that really quick, though. There are certain things where it is well worth putting the extra time in to get that extra one to two or three percent. Totally. In the right areas. And it takes a very experienced, very mentally mature human being to know what is the right thing to spend that extra time on, on those diminishing return type things. But most people get that wrong. I would venture to say that the vast majority of people spend time doing things thinking it's going to help the end product when it does absolutely nothing for the end product. So one of the issues with diminishing returns is when you're in that spot where the work you're putting in is not necessarily making it better, it's just kind of you're compensating for something emotionally here, is that a lot of times at that point, the cure is worse than the disease. What that could mean is if you're working on a vocal and you're frustrated because the vocal is not perfectly in tune, and then you get the vocal perfectly in tune, but now the vocal kind of sounds like this. All of a sudden, yes, the pitch is correct, but now the song sucks. So you've fixed it, but you've also broken it at the same time. There are other issues at play. And so I think about this idea a lot of like, at what point is fixing this going to make it worse than just leaving it as is and moving on to other things? I think I get your point here where it's like, say we hit a point of diminishing returns. We acknowledge that, we realize that, and we say, we're going to move on to something else. (laughs) And that just puts us down to another black hole of binge editing or binge adjusting something for way too long and wasting time. I don't know if it's something you can easily get out of sometimes. Sometimes the the best thing you can do is to roll back a backup save to a session you did earlier that morning. Like sometimes I have to do that. That's the reality of the situation sometimes. So I don't know if there's any one size fits all fix to curing this, but the definite cure is not to just go on to something else and continue that sort of trend. And I wish I had someone that could sit there and watch me because I'm very similar to you. Whereas when I get to this mode, where I'm like a terrible troglodyte human that's just binge editing something with no soul or emotion attached to it, my eyebrows furrow just like yours to where I look like I want to murder my computer. Uh When that's the situation, my wife always asks me if I'm okay. And that's when I know I've (laughs) hit this point where I shouldn't be doing something. Thank God for her. Yeah. And sometimes I still keep doing it. It's just the worst thing in the world. It's sometimes us just getting more emotionally mature and being able to just let something go. It almost ties to the point of sunk cost bias where you've spent so much time, effort, or money on something that you're unwilling to just let it fully go. An example would be like, if I hit a point in a mix where I'm like, this sucks ass, this is awful. I need to roll back to a backup save from yesterday because this is trash. That is not sunk cost bias. That's me saying this entire day has been wasted. It was better off yesterday. I should roll it back. Sunk cost is, man, I've been mixing this for the entire day. I don't know if this is any better, but I spent an entire day of my time on it. I'm going to keep going with it. That's sunk cost biased. Or I spent $2,000 on this compressor, but this $200 plugin sounds better and is easier for me to do recall on. I'm going to keep using this $2,000 compressor because I spent $2,000 on it. That's sunk cost bias. And it can definitely play into our emotions and our decisions we make when we're in these binge edit modes or this black hole of research that ultimately leads nowhere where we're unwilling to say, hey, Maybe we shouldn't buy any of these cameras because we don't know what the hell we're doing with any of these cameras because we're not videographers. Maybe we should just use our damn iPhones because we aren't going to use the footage anyways. That might be the better move instead of saying, hey, I spent 40 hours researching this damn camera. 
I'm going to Thailand next week. I need to buy one. The more emotionally mature response was acknowledging I should not have bought the damn camera and just use my iPhone. That's a hard decision to make. Well, it is a hard decision to make. You have to admit a mistake. And I think the tricky thing for me is when I get in that mode of like- Ooh, that ego takes over. The ego takes over and it's like, well, I have to keep researching because I've already spent three hours on this. And if I don't get this perfect, then those three hours were wasted. And you have to be able to walk away and reset and come back there in a place of health. Yeah. If you look at this from an investment standpoint, just some of the best investors you'll ever meet in the world, they still fail at this a lot of times, but more times than not, they will successfully walk away from a bad investment instead of doubling down their investment into that bad investment. Just an example, because I'm in the software world. If a venture capitalist invests a bunch of money into a startup that ultimately goes nowhere, instead of just saying, this startup's not for me, I'm going to move on. They put more money in in an effort to save that failing startup because they're going to implode and you're going to lose all that money. Now you just lost twice as much money. Now you're worse off than you would have been if you just walked away from it. It just takes an emotionally mature person to say, I'm willing to acknowledge that I lost all that time, effort, or money I just put into this thing. I'm going to be better off for it if I just walk away from it now. So this is really applicable in poker. If you guys have ever played poker before, I'm not a big poker player, but I do. I love poker and I'm very good at it and I don't really play it very much. We should play poker sometime. I'd love to. We'll do it at the Six Figure Home Studio retreat whenever coronavirus passes over. There we go. Anyone who survives the coronavirus, you're invited to our retreat. Yes. It's going to be in the White House in the <laughs> rubble of, uh, of society. It's going to be great. I love the picture you're painting right now. Dibs on the we'll Lincoln be playing, bedroom. Yeah, we'll be playing with stacks of $100 bills. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Or just bullets. The bullets will be currency at that point. <laughs> there we go. It's true. So a good example of this in poker, if you've ever played poker, you know, if you are, I'm going to mess the words up here, but if you're the blind, you have to put money in when it's your turn to put money in to start the pot. Yeah, there's things called the big blind and the small blind. It just means you have to put a certain amount of money in to play. Yeah. You have to put a certain amount of money in. And what a lot of people will do is they can't make themselves fold, even if they have crap cards when they're big blind. Because like, well, but I already put the money in. Oh, like, oh, it'd be a waste for me to fold, even though there's no possibility of winning. Like, I have to win that money back. That's what Brian's talking about. Sunk cost is like, no, no, dude, like you have a two and a three. Two or three is not the worst hand to be dealt. Just say, anyways, continue on. <laughs> You're right. But let's just say it's an absolute trash hand. It's harder. And we feel this emotionally when you're playing poker. And that's why when I play poker, I just fold virtually every time. There's a couple of things with that. We're not going to get too far into this. Two and seven is the worst hand you can get because there's no chance of a straight. This is true. I did win money on a two and a seven the last time I played poker last week. That's great. The problem with folding every time is the fact that eventually the big blind is supposed to get to a large amount enough, a large enough money to where you can't fold every time. Yeah. I think we're in a black hole of... Uh... We should just acknowledge that this was not the best example to make and move on without ever acknowledging this conversation again. That sounds great. Let's talk about another example. One of the things that we see an awful lot in our industry, especially for people that are starting out, is over-YouTubing as far as watching tutorials. And I think what a lot of people will do is they'll sit down and they'll watch like, you know, 20 YouTube tutorials on how to mix a song in their genre. Some people will watch those 20 tutorials and they'll start using them to make pretty great mixes. Other people will watch 1,000 more tutorials and they don't get any better. And often they get worse. Often it's like, well, but uh, so-and-so said I should do this and so-and-so said I should never do that. And so-and-so said, oh, I have to have that plug in. Ah! 
you see this in the business world all the time because I listen to a lot of business podcasts and I read business blogs and it's called a entrepreneur. People that just constantly research, they never take a single action. That is the definition of somebody who is past the point of diminishing returns. They're just not getting any returns because they're not doing anything. But you want to know something as you were telling this story that popped in my head? This episode in and of itself is hitting a point of diminishing returns. Oh, snap. We have gotten our point across to our audience. We're only like 30 minutes into this episode. If we stop now, this would be one of our shortest episodes. However, I don't see what else we could really cover that's going to get the point home any more than this. At this point, we're just beating a dead horse. Chris, is there anything else you have that's worth adding to this episode? No. I mean, honestly, that's we can mic drop here because this is a good example of saying, hey, we got the point across. Anything past this is just wasting our audience's time. Go make money. Go. Hi. <laughs> That's awesome. I think this is great, man. I think let's stop the episode. Yeah. Goodbye. All right. Brian, good hanging out with you, man. You too, man. Well, see you guys later. S- see ya. <laughs> So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Hopefully you got something out of that episode. Hopefully you're going to stop binging things and endlessly researching things and listening to episodes of podcasts that are no longer relevant to you because you're way past that point. You just wanted to hear our beautiful voices. However, I do have something important to bring up today. And that is one thing. Chris Graham is on the call with me still on the outro here. Chris, say hey to everybody. Hey, guys. This might be the first outro we've done together on the podcast 123 episodes in maybe it feels great it's nice over here yeah it's nice second of all we've literally been refreshing this all day but we just hit a wonderful milestone on the podcast and we didn't get to talk about it on the episode because we cut it short because there was no reason not to because it made sense for the episode chris what milestone did we hit on the podcast bruh we have half a million downloads on this show that's true we actually i'm refreshing we have five hundred thousand and ten right now Wow. That happened as we finished that episode, like real time. In celebration of that fact, I am going to be doing some free coaching calls. What? If you're interested in doing business coaching with me, go to chrisgrandmastering.com slash coaching and you can apply for a free mini coaching call and we'll hang out. We'll talk about your business. I'll ask you a million questions. We'll become friends and we'll talk about what the things that you need to do to work on your business not for your business. We'll come up with actionables and we'll figure that out. And if it's fun, we can keep doing business coaching and we can talk about that. So chrisgrandmastering.com slash coaching. I want to do a lot more coaching this year. I had so much fun and it made me a better man. So check it out. I'll vouch for Chris. Chris genuinely loves doing this. I love it. And one of the reasons I haven't done business coaching is because I'm not sure if I would really enjoy calls every single like day with people. I'm just not, I don't know if I have that personality. I might, don't get me wrong. Maybe in the future I'll do it but I just don't think I have the same love for humans that you have, Chris. <laughs> you just love people. I don't know. It's amazing, man. I love my small community of people that I surround myself with, but everyone outside of that, I, I don't have the same love and care for that I do for people like you, Chris. But I will genuinely say every single coaching call, you're like amped afterwards. Every single like time you talk about it, you have like this childish wonder in your eyes. So It's so fun. It's weird. It's not work for me. It's so fun to hang out with somebody and hear their story and talk about, you know, what are the things that are holding them back? What are their superpowers that they're not fully utilizing? Every time I get off a call, I feel like I just had a pot of coffee. I'm super jazzed about it. It's so fun. So let's be friends. ChrisGrandMaster.com slash coaching. 
do a mini coaching session with me and uh, you have to apply. There's like a little video that you'll have to make. It's like a one minute application video and a couple questions. We'll hang out. So next week's episode, Chris and I have not recorded yet. We are still kind of planning that, but the idea is to get an interview on the podcast. We'll let you know if that, I mean, you'll obviously know if that comes out because it'll be, it'll come out. But the goal is this is an interview of someone who heard an episode, took that episode, applied it, and had incredible results with his business with the topic of that episode. They've made a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. So hopefully we can get that person on the podcast and the schedules work out and stuff. If not, we'll figure something out. Chris and I always do. We can literally sit and talk for hours and not even record it. That's just how Chris and I are. So next week, bright and early, 6 a.m. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening and happy hustling. Bye. And one of the reasons I haven't done business coach, bitching coach. (laughs) Cut that out, James.